What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome in, everyone. It is Saturday, December 11th, 2021. We are inching all that much closer to the Christmas holiday, and I'm sure everybody needs that Christmas break to sort of unwind and um, and regroup and get some much needed rest and relaxation. So I hope everybody's doing well on this fine Saturday, this record setting Saturday, December 11th, in fact, because in New Jersey, it is like 60 degrees outside, um, 61 I'm showing right now. I think the high is supposed to be it's supposed to get up around 64, which for December 11th is absolutely ridiculous. So I just want to say, you know, if you're getting your holiday shopping done right now, um, enjoy the weather while you're out there. It's not snowy. It's not all that cold. So um, it's great. And we've got coming up um, in about an hour and 20 minutes or so, we've got the Army-Navy game, so that's exciting. We're still a week away from uh, the bowl game, so we've got the traditional Army-Navy game, which is being played in my home state at MetLife Stadium, which is um, really cool as well. Cool that it's being played here. Unfortunate because if you live in New Jersey, you cannot bet on the Army Navy game here. So right now I cannot bet on the game. 34 and a half is the over under. And I would say that that's going to hit the over. Everybody is looking to bet the under on this one. And I think it hits the over because they've, uh, the books are, are, they're not stupid. Okay, the odds makers, they put this line at such a low number that they want everyone to bet the under because the under is hit in, in this game, what, 20 straight years or something ridiculous, maybe 15 straight times, I think I read. However, this number that they have it at, at 34 and a half, the over has hit 13 of the last 20. So that's something to keep an eye on. That's why I think that it does go over the 34 and a half. And I also believe that Army uh, covers this one. I think the spread is like seven. People, some people think it could be a little closer. Um, if you think that's the case, then maybe take, you know, you could parlay that over with um, Army minus three and a half, minus four and a half, somewhere like that. So uh, that should be fun. I'm going to try to hopefully get this episode um, done in time so I could watch that for a little bit play some video games as well this weekend. Um, I just want to mention this. It's been like three weeks since I've done an episode and I do apologize. Maybe it's been longer. I'm not sure, but I, I hundred percent had planned to do an episode last weekend. However, Friday, I woke up feeling a little rundown. You could say, you know, my throat was a little, um, sore, little ticklish. Didn't think anything of it. Go to work, start getting the sniffles you know, that sneezing. And I was like, oh, this is allergies. I know exactly what this is. And I don't really have allergies, but once in a while throughout the year, I will get this where I'm like sneezing and it's a little phlegmy type type of sneeze. And it almost feels like allergies, like an itchy throat, scratchy throat. And then I just get the itchy eyes and the runny eyes and my nose is just filling with phlegm and I'm blowing my nose. So throughout the day, I was feeling like that. Not terrible, but it was getting progressively worse throughout the day. By the time I got home Friday night, um, it was starting to progressively get worse. Saturday, I ended up sleeping 19 hours. Um, that was just me being stupid, really. I just felt like crap and I didn't want to get out of bed before I knew it. It was like 6 p.m. And of course you had, it was championship weekend. So you had Alabama, Georgia. So I was able to get up in time to watch that. Um, you know, you had Michigan, Iowa. You you know, I missed a bunch of the earlier games. I missed the great, um, you know, Baylor, Oklahoma State game. Um, but anyway, it was championship weekend. So I slept all that time and I had a bad headache. I barely ate anything on Saturday um, by Sunday. And I get tested at work every week. So anybody that's wondering, oh, did you have COVID? My COVID test came back negative from work um, from Wednesday. Um, and then I took a, uh, test at home, which also came back negative. So I, I knew I didn't, I didn't have the COVID, uh, or the Rona, um, because I just had, I could tell I had a cold, like a bad head cold and not, not, um, eating at all and sleeping that whole time gave me a really bad headache. So by Sunday I had my mom, um, grab me some extra strength Tylenol 
bing, bang, boom, headache was gone. I felt pretty good the rest of the day. And um, I did take a, a Monday off from work just, you know, to be safe. I was still a little weak, run down. So it was good that I stayed home on Monday. Probably could have stayed home on Tuesday as well. But by the time I got back to work rest of the week, um, I've been fine. You might hear a little nasaliness. I just had some breakfast and uh, some orange juice. Orange juice always builds that mucus and that phlegm. So I'm kind of trying to deal with that. I blew my nose a little bit earlier from just waking up and having that like phlegm build up that mucus is still trying to break that down but otherwise i feel i feel 100 percent. i feel great so um i'm happy that i am able to jump in and give you guys another episode this will be episode 153 to be exact and we're gonna dive right in and we're gonna start by recapping um week 13 in the nfl and i have some exciting stuff later in the show that took place um, earlier in the week. So this this will be fun. So let's dive right in and let's start with our week 13 NFL recap. Um, week 13 was mostly vanilla, a little boring, um, but we did get a couple of great moments in the league. And we will start with the O and 10 Lions getting their first win. Say what? Take a listen. There's Hawkinson inside. Here we go. Goff from the gun to the end zone. And he's caught. Touchdown. So, yes, that was the ball game right there. The Detroit Lions beating the Minnesota Vikings 29 to 27 for their first win of the NFL season. So congratulations to the Lions. Um, I know much needed win for them. All the ups and downs of the season, the record setting field goal by, you know, Justin Tucker and just the the numerous and various ways that they found to lose games. Just ridiculous. So I think everybody, even if you're not a Lions fan, was rooting for them. And so so that's a great moment for Detroit. Then on the flip side of that, we had the Baltimore Ravens electing to go for two. So they had a sloppy game against the Steelers, you know, big time rivalry here, Steelers and Ravens, AFC North, right? And they score a touchdown in the closing seconds, and they have a choice. They could kick the extra point, send this thing to overtime, but no. In this new age NFL, teams are going for this. And John Harbaugh elected to go for two, and this was the result. It's a run play. Jackson flings it. Andrews can't get to it. Could not reel it in. Incomplete. Yeah, so what happened there, it, you can't see it, obviously, but um, Mark Andrews got his left hand on the ball, but it was uh, basically like an RPO. It was a fake handoff, and he had to quickly throw it out to the flat to Mark Andrews because, as you heard Tony Romo say, yes, TJ Watt was, in fact, in his face, and he didn't get enough height on it. He just flicked it on a line drive, and it was just out of reach from Mark Andrews. And Big Ben, they showed him with a towel over his head on the sideline, like bent down. Uh, he was pretty emotional after after this uh after that play he knew that was a much needed win um so yeah ravens um that's a tough pill to swallow but listen um they're still in first place right now and they're still going strong and i'm not gonna you know let this one loss determine um what i think about the ravens and i'm sure they're not going to either it was a gamble obviously that's part of the game and the gamble unfortunately for them did not pay off Okay, next up, the Patriots ended the week by beating the Bills in Buffalo 14-10. to 10. Um, Coming into this game, 
the winds were insane. There was snow, yada, yada, yada. I'm so over the NFL in, in, in situations like this because I knew I wasn't winning fantasy. I needed to win this week. I had Josh Allen, Nick Folk, and this was one of those sloppy games that was low scoring. You weren't going to get a lot of points in fantasy, and it's despicable because in this day and age, the NFL needs to make a decision. Every stadium needs to be a dome. I, I, it, that That's it. We have enough money here. Make every stadium a dome. Point blank, period. That's it. No one wants to go in negative weather, degree weather. I've been to Buffalo for a game, okay? And it's despicable. It, it, it's it's redonkulous. My feet were frozen. I thought I was going to lose my toes. The snow, it, yeah, it's a great time, you know, when your team wins. But the, to put yourself through that and to put the players through that, nobody wanted to watch. That game was so bad and so hard to watch that it, it doesn't make for a good product. And I've said this for a while now, they need to make every stadium a dome and be done with it. The Minnesotas of the world, you know, even MetLife I've been to when it's freezing, absolutely freezing, and it's not fun. And why would I go on a one o'clock to freeze my, my gonads off when I could turn on the television in the comfort of my house wearing sweatpants, a sweatshirt, nice and cozy, get the fireplace going on a, you know, cold December day and pop on, you know, Jets, Giants, when they're sucking, pop on red zone. You can't beat that. So they got to do something about this and get every stadium in the cold weather um, into uh, a dome. So it's temperature regulated. The weather isn't a factor and we could have a good product on the field because what we saw on Monday night was not a good product. Um, for the Patriots, though, it's their seventh straight win. Yes, you heard that right. Seven straight wins. And in typical Bill Belichick fashion, he had a game plan and he stuck to it. Okay. And what I mean by that is they ran the ball, they ran the ball, and then they ran the ball some more. Try 42 runs on their first 43 plays of the game. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely incredible. Mac Jones threw the ball one time in the first half and entering the final uh, possession from New England, he actually threw the ball twice in that final possession. So he threw for a total of three times, I think completing two of them for 19 yards. It was ridiculous, ridiculous. The Bills though, they had plenty of chances to win this game. Um, they got the ball late into New England territory and Tyler Bass missed a field goal that would have made it a 14-13 game. That came back to haunt the Bills because later on, as the time was expiring, their final play, they had a fourth down from, I think, the New England 18. Um, and basically, he tried to throw it to, to Gabriel over the middle and it was incomplete. Had they kick, made that earlier field goal, Tyler Bass could have kicked a field goal to propel um, Buffalo to a win. Uh, Buffalo is skidding. Um, they're now two back of the Patriots who sit as the number one seed in the AFC. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The New England Patriots, they're back. They are nine and four, and they sit at the as the number one seed in the AFC, and the Bills have fallen to the five seed. So um, I will basically break down what the, what the standings look like now after week 13. You've got the Patriots as the one seed. The Titans are the two seed. Ravens are the three seed. Chiefs are the four. Bills, Chargers, Bengals are your three wildcard teams at seven and five. So besides the Patriots, um, you've got the Titans, Ravens, and Chiefs all at eight and four. And then the Bills, Chargers, and Bengals all sitting at seven and five. And then you've got teams like... Um, you know, chasing like the Steelers, the Raiders, teams like that. And then on the flip side of that, in the NFC, your standings currently look like uh, the Arizona Cardinals are your one seed, Packers two seed, Bucks are the three seed, Cowboys four. Those are your four divisional uh, leaders. Then you've got five, six, and seven, Rams, uh, Washington, and the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers lost right at the end of the game on fourth and goal to the Seattle Seahawks. Right now, that has not affected them. They are still in the playoff race as of right now. Um, Cardinals looking strong. They're 10-2. Packers, Bucks are just a game back of that one seed. Will be very interesting because obviously last season when the Buccaneers won a Super Bowl, they were a wild card team because the Saints had the one seed. So they had to go into New Orleans and they had to go into Washington and then they had to go into Green Bay and win all of those games. If they get a home, a home field advantage throughout the playoffs, if they are able to sneak in and get that one seed, 
lead, I think it's going to be very hard for teams to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, it did come to light that three players on the Bucs, including Antonio Brown, were suspended for three games because of those fake vaccination cards. So that did come to light. So uh, it doesn't seem like it has stopped the Buccaneers by any stretch of the imagination, um, but just something to keep an eye on. Okay, next up, let's talk some college football. You know, I brought it up at the open with the whole, um, you know, championship weekend and yada, yada, yada. Well, the CFP is officially set. Um, here's what happened. We got Bama, we got Michigan, we got Georgia, and we got Cincinnati all making it into the CFP. I'm sure you guys know that by now. Here's how it went down. Well, Alabama absolutely blasted Georgia 41 to 24 to jump from number three all the way up to number one. With a loss in that game, Bama would have been probably out of contention here, but they win 41-24. It's so fascinating because that was the exact same score um, between these two teams a year ago as well, with Bama getting the best of Georgia. Kirby Smart just cannot seem to win, and I think Nick Saban is like 25-26-1 against his former assistant, Jimbo Fisher, being the lone win there, I think, earlier this season. Um. So yeah, Bama absolutely blast Georgia 41-24. It wasn't really that close. Then you had Michigan staying pat with their big 42-3 Big Ten championship victory over totally outmatched Iowa. Surprisingly enough, I was thinking to bet Iowa going into this game just because I figure it's Michigan. You know, they got the big win against Ohio State. Maybe they come out a little flat, but Iowa's offense just really, really bad. They had a great opening drive, and then they come away with zero points by missing the field goal, and you figured it was downhill from there. Again, I didn't watch that full game because, you know, I wasn't feeling great. I was sick last weekend, so I went to bed early, but I could tell. I went to bed when that game was pretty much, in, you know, over. I knew Michigan was dominating the game, and I was not surprised at all to wake up to see the final score was 42-3. to three. Um, things did almost get a little dicey with number five, Oklahoma State, but unfortunately in their Big 12 championship game, they failed to convert a fourth and goal and they lost that game to Baylor. Had they won, there would have been huge discussion over whether they should get in as a one loss uh, power five team over an undefeated group of five in Cincinnati. Unfortunately, they did lose, so there's no discussion to be had there. So Cincinnati, congratulations to them. They are the first group of five team to get in. Luke Fickle was named coach of the year, rightfully so. They were the only undefeated team in all of college football. So here's how it will shake up. Alabama will face Cincinnati at 3.30 Eastern on New Year's Eve at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, of course, where the Cowboys play, while Michigan, number two Michigan, will play number three Georgia uh, 7.30 that same night in Miami. The spreads on these games, um, let me see if I could pull it up. I know that both, uh, I know Alabama is favored by a good amount against um against them let's see let's see here let's pull this up because i am very curious okay um oh really it's good okay here you go yes alabama i thought so alabama is favored by 13 and a half that's a very interesting spread right there um that's basically two touchdowns and then georgia number three bulldogs are favored by seven and a half over michigan interesting one um there so these spreads are both kind of high uh, i'm still not sure where i'm going in terms of those spreads just yet but um we will see um bowl weekend uh starts next week so it should be fun. And like I said, we've got Army-Navy coming up in just a short time. So let's move on to some other college football news. Oklahoma has gone ahead and hired Brent Venables. Of course, Venables has been a staple over the last 10 years, building up a Clemson defense to a perennial powerhouse. They've had a historic rise to college football superstardom under Dabo Sweeney. And of course, um, Venables has been a guy that has been looked upon as a 
head coaching candidate for a number of years now. Uh, he has turned down job after job after job until now. He's set to take over for Lincoln Riley, who recently departed for USC. Venables actually used to be the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma, so it's definitely a great get for a program that was bleeding right now and needed some stability. They had um, a number of high-priority recruits decommitting, so this is good news for Oklahoma that they now have a coach that they could bring in and stabilize because Venables is an absolutely brilliant recruiter, okay? That's everything that I hear. He's a great recruiter, and his first order of business was to hire himself an offensive coordinator. He did just that, tabbing another former uh, Sooner in Ole Miss offensive coordinator, Jeff Levy. Um, Levy graduated from Oklahoma in 2007. He's been the offensive coordinator under Lane Kiffin for the past two years at Ole Miss, calling plays right alongside Kiffin. And in both those years, the Rebels ranked in the top five in total offense nationally, and he helped build up a resume for a one uh, Matt Corral, the quarterback there, who looks to be a high-priority draft pick, possibly a first-rounder as well. Okay, next up, let's talk quickly some women's college hoops and possibly the best player in the country, one uh, Paige Bukers of UConn. She exited late in their victory over number 24 Notre Dame on Sunday. It was an awkward landing and it was a gasp and the air got sucked out of the building. Um, for Bukers, it wasn't ACL related, nothing to keep her out of the air. That's the good news. The bad news, she suffered a tibial plateau fracture, which I think is just a fancy way of saying a broken leg. She will be out about six to eight weeks. So that is good news if you're UConn um, and if you're Gina Oriema and um, for the whole entire uh, college, you know, women's basketball, because, you know, she helps bring that sport to light. You know, she helps give that sport um, some legitimacy because, you know, nobody tends to care about women's college basketball. But when UConn is up there, it makes it watchable and people want to see what they are going to do. Next up, let's talk some NFL real quick, some big news. During their bye week, the Panthers made a huge decision, and that decision was to fire their offensive coordinator in Joe Brady. I think this is a really uh, rash decision. I think it's a bad move, and I think this is Matt, uh, excuse me, this is the Panthers um, making Joe Brady the scapegoat. Um, I don't know who made that final decision. But it's to me, it's a it's a total scapegoat situation. OK, and I don't know if it was Matt Rule. I don't know if it was somebody else higher up, but um, it looks like that Joe Brady is out. Um, he came to Carolina as a star star coaching candidate after helping engineer LSU's 2019 offense, which had a number of first round picks, including Joe Burrow, you know, uh, Justin Jefferson uh, was no Jamar Chase, all those guys. Um, when they won that national championship, uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire, I believe, just a number of guys, just they had historic numbers on offense. And that's when the name Joe Brady became known. And um, so he was a big get for the Carolina Panthers to be their offensive coordinator at such a young age. But unfortunately, you can't put lipstick on a pig. Carolina has not been good. They've had a revolving door at quarterback. They brought in Sam Darnold this year to stabilize things, and he started 3-0 and and looked like the second coming of Peyton Manning, for Christ's sake. But it went downhill fast, and they lost. Uh, as soon as they lost Christian McCaffrey, Darnold uh, couldn't do much out there. It was not a, an easy go. You had Robbie Anderson yelling on the sidelines, and it was just tough. And then they brought in Peyton, uh, excuse me, then they brought in um, Cam Newton, who looked okay, but they, it hasn't helped them win. Then Cam Newton got benched. Um, so it's just been an absolutely just back and forth. It's not been fun. So the Panthers making the move to get rid of Joe Brady. Joe Brady, who is just 32 years old, I'm sure he will rebound just fine. And I am very curious to see if he goes back to, say, college ranks or if he stays somewhere in the NFL. But somebody is going to scoop him up and it's not going to be long before he finds himself with another uh, job in this league. 
Okay, here we go. Uh, let's talk college football real quick. This is a fascinating story I read about on The Athletic about a guy named Kevin Kelly. I may have mentioned this once in the past. I don't know. I know I probably talked with my with my dad about this. Kelly recently resigned as head football coach of Presbyterian after just one year. Why is this important or significant? Because Kelly came to Presbyterian from the high school ranks with one simple philosophy, never punt. This is my kind of guy, right? This is something I always joke with, with my dad. You know, when I play Madden, I usually never punt. I always go for it. And I'm sorry, but this is not a philosophy that's all, you know, this is not crackpot theory. This is something that I truly believe can work. And Never punt is a little bit extreme, right? Like if I have a fourth and 20, am I going to go for it? Probably not. I would probably punt in that situation. But anything like fourth and seven, six, five, anything like that, I might potentially go for it almost every time. Well, he takes this a bit far. Kelly never punted. He also favored onside kicks in any situation. For two games this year, it absolutely worked. The first two games of the year, they won 84 to 43 and 68 to 3, setting offensive records and gaining huge acclaim. But it was all downhill from there. They lost their final nine game, excuse me, they lost their final nine games of the season to finish two and nine. And here's some incredible stats from that season. Through 11 games, they did not attempt a single field goal. They punted a total of 13 times, attempted 48 onside kicks, and went for it on fourth down a whopping 84 times. This is just incredible stuff, and I wish it would, you know, make its way towards more of a mainstream um, college program. But I cannot wait to see where this guy ends up next because with a good program, I truly believe a good Power 5 program, you can make this work and you can change the landscape of college football. I'm sure kickers and punters out there are not too excited about this guy because they would be without a job. But um, yeah, absolutely fascinating stuff to keep an eye on. Okay, next up, there were reports late last weekend that Miami was targeting one Mario Cristobal. However, they had yet to fire Manny Diaz, their current head coach. Well, this week, that's exactly what they did. They fired Manny Diaz on Monday and immediately turned around and signed Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal to an $80 million contract. Cristobal saw the writing on the wall, leaving Oregon. They got blasted twice by Utah. It was embarrassing, okay? They were frauds all season long. I said that. And he, may, he jumped ship, and he comes to sunny Miami. Now, listen, Miami wasn't bad under Manny Diaz, okay? Um, because... They finished the season strong. Um, Miami hasn't been great for a while now, but it's fascinating because if you look at the timeline of all of this, you kind of saw this coming. So on November 15th, Miami fired their longtime athletic director, Blake James. Um, that was with two games left on the schedule for Manny Diaz. So that kind of put him on the hot seat there because usually you get rid of the, the athletic director, the coach is going to go. Um, and Diaz was kind of liked from what I understand. He was a Miami native, former Miami defensive coordinator, but he did sort of, you know, he had an, for what Miami is known for, you know, they were one of the great powerhouses of college football. Um, they, he finished 21 and 15 in his couple of seasons there. They then ended their season November 27th with a nice 47 to 10 win over Duke. So they finished the year off strong. And at the same time, though, like I said, Cristobal had that Pac-12 title game to play and Miami was still without an AD. Well, once again, Utah blasted Oregon. So I'm sure that Cristobal was looking uh, for a way out. Um, reports, like I said last week, it was, it was a very weird thing. Um, it must've been tough to be Manny Diaz hearing these reports that they're going after, uh, your job and you haven't yet been told anything. So, um, apparently boosters with a lot of money at Miami wanted both Mario Cristobal, who's also a Miami native and Clemson AD Dan Radakovich. They wanted them both at the same time which is weird because typically you hire an AD 
who then himself will go out and find a coach. But this was not the case. Um, on Friday, Diaz was actually recruiting as Miami's head coach while reports were surfacing that Cristobal had to decide by Monday whether to accept an offer to take his job. After all of that settled, Diaz was upset about how things went down. Yeah, no crap. I'd be upset too. You're in your office and they're basically uh, giving your job away. So just really, really weird situation. Um, but Cristobal did accept the job on Monday after getting blown out by Utah for a second time in three weeks. So Mario Cristobal and Dan Radakovich are now your AD and head coach at Miami. Wow. And Manny Diaz is out of a job. Okay, we've got the Heisman Trophy ceremony tonight. By now, you should all know, here are your four finalists. Bryce Young, Alabama. Michigan's Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, Pitts, Kenny Pickett, Ohio State's C.J. Stroud. I'm an offensive guy, so I'm a little shocked that uh, Aiden Hutchinson is here. Yes, he had a dominant season, set the sack record at Michigan, you know, passed his dad over there, right, whatever. But it's an offensive league, okay? And I think Kenneth Walker III did enough for Michigan State and their run game to warrant a trip to New York for this Heisman Trophy ceremony as a fourth finalist instead of Aiden Hutchinson. But that's just my opinion. The way Bryce Young performed in that um, SEC championship game, it's no doubt he's your odds-on favorite, okay? And is there really any point in watching? He's going to win. Okay, some sad news on Monday. Uh, Medina Spirit, the horse that won the Kentucky Derby before that failed post-race drug test, died of a heart attack after a workout at Santa Anita Park in California. The horse, a three-year-old colt, won two races in recent months and finished second at the Breeders' Cup Classic last month. This further um, basically uh, sheds a a bad light on Bob Baffert, right? This is not a good look for him once again. Um, I don't know that they ever stripped that Kentucky Derby win from Medina Spirit. I can't quite remember that, but just some sad news that that horse uh, died of a heart attack on the track. Um, you know, they push these horses. There's a lot of deaths that, they, that go unnoticed, but first time I can remember a Kentucky Derby winner dying uh, that recently after. So uh, yeah, RIP to Medina Spirit. A great racehorse. Okay, to the NBA, Damian Lillard has all but reached his breaking point. He wants something done, and he wants it done soon. He basically gave the Portland Trailblazers a, um, you know, he, gave, he, he told them, either trade me or bring somebody in, but do something and do it now. Okay, so... Um, Here's what here's what they can do. There's one of two things they can do. Everybody knows Ben Simmons hasn't played for the 76ers all year. He wants a trade as well. They've been looking for the right fit. They could go and trade for Ben Simmons. But if you trade for Ben Simmons, who are you going to give up? You're probably going to have to give up CJ McCollum. And right now, CJ McCollum is dealing with a collapsed lung, so he hasn't played. But does that make you better? Sure, Ben Simmons is a... Um, better, you know, facilitator. He's a better defender, all that stuff. He can't shoot. It would make their offense a lot worse in Portland. So I don't know that that helps, um, but it, it would satisfy something that Damian Lillard wants and he's their star player. So, you know, he's not getting any younger. So do you do that to satisfy him? The other thing you could do, you can trade Damian Lillard to Philly for Ben Simmons, but then Lillard doesn't get to play with Simmons, which is something that he seems to want at this point. Um, what's even more interesting about this whole thing is that interim GM Joe Cronin, who only took over last Friday when longtime GM Neil Olshi was fired, we don't know how that plays into this. As interim GM, does he have the power to go out there and make, make these deals? I don't know. But this is something to keep an eye on as the trade deadline is coming up fast approaching for February 10th. All right, the MLB lockout is in full swing. And with that has come some bizarre oddities. Um, the, the league has scrubbed every current player's mention and image off of team websites, including MLB.com. 
and it's led to some really ridiculous upcoming season promotions. Like they were supposed to have some Shohei Otani bobblehead night. They took his name off of it. Um, you've got April 30th is Cardinals third baseman bobblehead at Bush Stadium. I mean, you can't even say these players' names. Each player's headshot is now a gray silhouette. Um, which players are now taking, you know, they're now having some fun with, and they've made their Twitter profiles those gray silhouettes as well. I mean, they can't even talk about these players. Uh, uh, you know, you turn on Yes Network or SNY, and they're showing old clips of old old time stuff. It's just a really bizarre um, thing. MLB is maintaining that these measures are due to legal matters, but no one knows if that's actually true. Either way, the lockout is not good for the game. We don't want a situation that we saw in, what, 92 or 93, um, or what was it, 94, when we had the lockout and you had um, non-major league players play. We've seen this before in other leagues where you have basically minor leaguers have to come up and no, but that's not good for the game of baseball, okay? Baseball is getting a worse and worse reputation as the days go on, and it's just, it's not good for the game. Okay, the Indiana Pacers saw what Damian Lillard had to say about wanting um, to make some things happen, and they are now open for business. One day after the Lillard news, the Pacers made it clear themselves that they have decided to start their rebuild. After a 10-16 and 16 start, DeMontis Sabonis, Karis LeVert, and Miles Turner are now all on the trade block. And this was an interesting question I was posing to myself last night or since I saw this. If you're the Brooklyn Nets, do you go out there and do you trade Kyrie Irving to get Karis LeVert back? Here's what I say to this. If I know that I would get Karis LeVert in the playoffs and I'm not going to get Kyrie Irving in the playoffs, this is a deal that I'd be willing to do. And maybe it's a deal that I'd be willing to swing for where you go out and you get a Miles Turner as well. Can you swing a deal with Kyrie Irving, trade him for Karis LeVert, Miles Turner, obviously give up, you know, they're a first round pick coming, whatever. But the, the, the Nets would all love a Miles Turner. They need a big man so badly. I'm convinced, I still say this, the way LaMarcus Aldridge has played this season, number one in mid-range field goal percentage, he's been a revelation. If he did not have to medically retire because of that heart condition last year, as a power forward and a guy with a little bit of size, I truly believe LaMarcus Aldridge's um, presence would have helped the Brooklyn Nets win a championship. I think that would have been the icing on the cake that lifted and propelled the Brooklyn Nets to the finals over the Milwaukee Bucks. The Nets, hey, the Nets still almost did it. Durant's foot was just barely on the line or the Nets were going to the finals without Kyrie Irving and with a banged up James Harden. So um, I'm, I'm loving their chances this year anyway, but I just posed that question to myself. Like, mm, that's an interesting one. Um, One quick thing to keep in mind, I said February 10th is the trade deadline, but keep an eye out for December 15th. So what is that, four days from now? Um, what day is that next week? What is that? Tuesday? Um, December 15th is Wednesday. So keep an eye out for Wednesday. That's the day most players who signed free agent deals in the off season can be traded. So that's an interesting one. And then starting January 15th, this just came out. Unvaccinated NBA players will not be able to travel to Canada to play, and they will be subject to fines, suspensions, and or reduced pay for missing these games. Just 3% of the NBA remains unvaccinated. Give me one sec. I just have to take a swig of water. Okay, let's jump back in. The Boxing Hall of Fame announced its 2022 class on Tuesday night. Roy Jones Jr., James Toney, Holly Holm and Miguel Cotto, as well as six others were inducted. This, I had no, I said Holly Holm. I know that name. Yes. Of the six uh, of the inductees, Holm is the only one still fighting. She is still active in the UFC after retiring from boxing in 2013 to pursue MMA full time. Guys, I honestly had no idea that Holly Holm was a boxer. So I guess shame on me, but. I read this and I stepped back and I said, holy shnikes. I give this woman a hell of a lot of respect now. 
I mean, she she has not been fighting in MMA for all that long, and she has had a lot of title fights. She She's a badass. So, yeah, I did not know this at all. So good for her. Congratulations to Holly Holm. Uh, total respect. Oh, uh, Ohio State has landed a new defensive coordinator in Jim Knowles. The former Oklahoma State defensive coordinator is headed to the Buckeyes after overhauling the Pokes D the last four years. Uh, this season, in the Big 12, no less, Oklahoma State allowed just over 16 points per game. Only Georgia and Wisconsin allowed fewer yards per game. This is a huge get for Ohio State as they are hoping that Knowles can bring some stability to a defense that has had three different coordinators in the last three years. Yikes. All right, here's some great news coming out of the golf world and really the sporting world revolving Tiger Woods. Obviously, 10 months ago, uh, we know that Tiger suffered a horrific car crash that almost saw him lose his leg. Now, Tiger is set to play a professional golf tournament for the first time since. I never thought this moment would come so soon personally, but he will compete at the PNC Championship, which is an unofficial PGA Tour Champions event, which pairs 20 major champions with family members. Of course, he picked his spot, you know, cautiously to come back in this event. He will play with his son, Charlie. Of course, we saw that last year. It was awesome to watch his son and how good he is. But Tiger uh, tweeted this on Wednesday. I'm playing as a dad and couldn't be more excited and proud. The pair will play in a best ball format against the likes of Nick Faldo, Tom Watson, Gary Player, John Daly, and more. Obviously, if you saw that tournament last year, you know what a cool time that is to see all these great legends playing with their sons, with their daughters, you, you know, you name it. So uh, that should be really, really fun. All right, let's talk a little bit about Mark Emmert, uh, the NCAA president. I've spoken before about what a but you know buffoon this guy is, and well, he was speaking at the 2021 Intercollegiate Athletics Forum on Wednesday, and he promptly inserted his foot straight into his mouth, um, and probably he wishes he never spoke at this event at all. And I don't know how they continue to let him speak because every time he does speak, he says something so idiotic and so asinine that everybody is in an uproar and nobody likes the NCAA and their stupid rules anyway. So here's what Mark Emmert said, the genius that he is. And I quote, being a university president is the hardest job in America. Oh my God. In the two years or so since COVID, um, yeah, I can think of a few jobs that might just be a little harder than being a university president sitting up there in your cozy office with your million dollar salary and not really having to do too much, right? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. A nurse or doctor in a COVID ward, anybody in law enforcement, EMT, teachers, you name it. There are a hundred jobs over that I could talk about that are harder to do than a university president. Okay, and <laughs> just search Mark Emmert on social media and you will find people roasting this guy left and right. Again, I don't know why they let this guy speak. He always says something asinine and idiotic and moronic and shame on you, Mark Emmert. Okay, back to football. Clemson is in dire straits right now. They are in flux. Um, I spoke earlier about how they lost their defensive coordinator and athletic director to Miami and Oklahoma, respectively. Well, now it appears that their offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott, is also headed out the door and is in line to become Virginia's new head coach. Should Elliott leave, that would put Dabo Sweeney on an island without a defense coordinator, offensive coordinator, and without an athletic director. Yikes. Okay, let's talk about the most bizarre story that I read all week, and that is revolving around the Arizona Coyotes of the NHL. Last week, the Arizona Department of Revenue filed a tax lien notice against ICE Arizona Hockey LLC. This is the company that owns the Phoenix Coyotes. For more than $1.3 million in unpaid state and ta uh, city taxes. 
This legitimately means that the Coyotes could get locked out of their own arena. Um, the team claims that the mix-up is the result of unfortunate human error, and it should be fixed soon. I don't know how you have unfortunate you know, human error. I don't know if somebody was trying to dodge those taxes or what, but they were caught, and hopefully they get that fixed soon so they could get back in their arena. Um, let's talk, I talked women's basketball, let's talk women's professional soccer. On Wednesday night, Chelsea forward and 2019 NWSL MVP Sam Kerr took matters into her own hands when a fan interrupted her soccer match to walk onto the pitch and take selfies. Legit, if you see this vi this video footage, this guy jumps on, is on walking around the field with his phone, taking selfies, jogging around, and there's no security anywhere. So Sam Kerr had enough. She runs up to this guy and absolutely body checks him with her shoulder, knocking this moron to the ground. Then this, this doofus security guy and woman come over. The guy jumps up and they run him off the field. So awesome moment. Good job to you, Sam Kerr. However, before play resumed, the referee gave her a yellow card. Oh my God. Absolute rubbish. Are you kidding me? I don't know what the explanation was behind that, but hello, uh, she's, do she's doing everybody a favor. So this idiot doesn't decide to run on the field again. What a joke. Okay, um, Thursday night football, we had the Vikings beat the Steelers 36-28. to I decided not to bet this game. Uh, I was leaning towards the under, and it was looking like a lock until the end of the third quarter. Um, what started off as an absolute beatdown turned into a truly compelling uh, contest late. A 29-0 third quarter lead evaporated for Minnesota. So it's late in the third quarter. The Steelers finally get on the board with a touchdown. Next possession, what happens? Uh, Kirk Cousins throws an interception. Next thing you know, it's like 29-14 to or 29-15. They catch up. It's a one-possession game, and the Steelers are driving late, okay? However, the final play of the game, with the Steelers down eight, Pat Fryermuth dropped a touchdown, and the game ended. This would have been a disastrous collapse and the biggest in NFL history should the Vikings have blown the 29-0 lead. Almost 41 years to the day, on December 7th, 1980, the San Francisco 49ers, led by one Hall of Fame quarterback, Joe Montana, erased a 35-7 halftime deficit to defeat the Saints 38-35. This game was very entertaining if you stayed to watch, but most didn't. There was one interesting play down the stretch when the Steelers were driving that had everybody up in arms, and that was Chase Claypool. They had a fourth and one. He catches the first down, and then he promptly has to celebrate and point and drop the ball, and then they're yelling at him, running over to get the ball. He gets it. It gets knocked out of his hand, and they waste precious seconds. And so, needless to say, he's not the most liked stealer as of right now. Um, This game... Turned out to be, like I said, very entertaining. Most people did not stay up to watch it or turn the channel early. I was one of those. I came back to it because the only vested interest I had was that I was playing against Dalvin Cook in fantasy. I am in second place by a couple of points. Like I'm, I have the tiebreaker in points. I'm eight and five. The guy in third is eight and five. And then there's one in, that's seven and six. I need second place to get a buy. 12 team league, six make the playoffs. If I win, I'm in, right? If I lose, I need this guy in third place to lose. And granted, he has Jonathan Taylor on a bye, so I have a good chance of him losing. Well, I went up against Dalvin Cook, who was coming in banged up, questionable with that shoulder. What does Dalvin Cook promptly do? Rush for 205 yards and a touchdown. And I am now uh, losing 48.7 to zero. Dalvin Cook himself put up 48 points on my team. I am dead in the water, and now I have to pray that my team puts up enough points and that third place loses for me to get that second place by because that's my only chance at winning this league, unfortunately. All right, um, 
Before I get to the awesome Rutgers news, I do have some sad news to to bring to everyone's attention. Demarius Thomas, at just 33 years old, died late Thursday night in his Roswell, Georgia home, according to local police. According to the reports, Thomas died from a medical issue. Um, I started to research and I found out some more information about this. Demarius Thomas, about a year ago, was in a bad car accident. And ever since that car accident started to suffer from seizures and they started to become more frequent over time. So much so that his driver had a key to the house. God forbid, you know, there was a medical issue and they needed to get to him. Well, on Thursday night, a friend tried to get in touch with Demarius Thomas, who was at home by himself, could not get in touch with him. That's when they got a little worried. They called the driver who has a key, went into the house and found Demarius Thomas dead in the shower. It's just a heart wrenching and, and just awful, awful um, thing to happen to somebody at just 33 years old. Um, it looks like Demarius Thomas was in the shower, had a seizure. Nobody was there to know, and he died. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's gut wrenching. And I saw Shannon Sharp, um, talk about this on, uh, get up. He was looked at as a, you know, big brother to Demarius Thomas. And they had a mutual friend who said a couple of two months ago that you should call DT. He's not doing so great. You know, um, just, just check in on him and with life going on and all, all that sort of stuff. Um, Shannon Sharp said he had two months and he didn't end up reaching out to him because he didn't think he was going to, he was going to die. Like who would have known, right? So he missed that opportunity and now he'll never get another chance to speak with him. It's just, it's, it's terrible, terribly sad news. Um, Demarius Thomas was a five-time pro bowler. He had 724 receptions for 9,763 yards and 63 touchdowns in 10 NFL seasons. Of course, he won Super Bowl 50 with Peyton Manning. Um, he's second all-time and I think, receiving yards and touchdowns in Broncos history. And for that five-year stretch from 2012 to 2016, he was looked at as one of the greatest receivers in the league. Um so yes, um, RIP to Demarius Thomas, gone way too soon. He last played with my New York Jets. He played 10 games in 2019, and just this past June, he decided to hang it up and retire um, as a Bronco. So my wishes to Demarius Thomas and his family. Um, and on Christmas Day, he would have been 34. So RIP, DT. All right. Now let's get back on track. That was the sad news. The, the unbelievably great news to come out of Thursday night was that my alma mater, Rutgers, for the first time in program history, took down the number one team in the country, per, the Purdue Boilermakers, seven to six, 70 to 68, and what a finish it was. Harper for the win! Oh! It counts at the buzzer! Yes, Rutgers, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights took down the number one a uh, ranked team in the country. Unfortunately for Purdue, this was their very first time being ranked number one ever. And the first game they're number one, they lose. Um, Ron Harper Jr. absolutely had himself a game. He be, he scored 30 points, including that uh, 40 foot buzzer beater. I'll call it 40 feet. It was pretty far out there. Um, just absolutely ridiculous night he had. Um, he became the first player ever with 30 points and a buzzer beater against the number one team in the country. Just unbelievable. And for a team that was four and four with a couple of bad losses and a blowout, like 25 point loss recently to Illinois, this was a great win. And I read 
I forget where I read it, CBS Sports, maybe something. This is the type of win that will have huge ramifications for Rutgers if they are one of the bubble teams um, late in the season trying to make the NCAA tournament. I thought last year was the greatest season I had ever seen from Rutgers. The first time in my lifetime I got to see my alma mater compete in the NCAA tournament, and they were literally one possession from beating uh, Houston who ended up making a Final Four run. So that literally could have been Rutgers had they won that game. So that was, to me, the greatest uh, season that I ever saw. But this was probably the greatest game in Rutgers history, taking down the number one team in the country. And, oh, what a way, not, not just for Rutgers, but what a great thing for college basketball as a whole. Fans in the stadium taking down number one on a buzzer beater half-court shot, and the, the, they just stormed the court. I wish I was there. It was just awesome. Awesome moment for Rutgers. Um, and yeah, just just hopefully this this catapults them now because they play uh, in-state rival in the Hardwood Classic Seton Hall, a ranked Seton Hall team that actually on this same night took down number seven, Texas. So not only was this the greatest game in Rutgers history, this might this might have been the greatest night in New Jersey college basketball history. Taking down number one, and number seven, just ridiculous. So this should be a great game on Sunday. Um, I hope that Rutgers isn't, uh, you know, doesn't come in with a hangover, having beat the number one team in the country. It's usually always a great game. So congrats to my alma mater in Rutgers. And I look forward to watching that game against Seton Hall tomorrow night. All right, back to Paige Bukers for just a second. Her injury is already having major ramifications for UConn. They played their first game without Bukers last night, Thursday night, losing to Georgia Tech 57-44. to Wow. If it wasn't bad enough, that was the first time UConn had lost to an unranked opponent in their last 240 games. Just think about that for a second. If you play... 30 games a year, which UConn actually played exactly 30 last year. That's eight years worth of games without losing to an unranked opponent. Oh my God. That is just sick. Okay. Just sick. All right, let's move on. What's on TV this weekend? You've got, I've said it a million times by now, Army versus Navy. Ashley's supposed to start at uh, 3 o'clock right now on CBS, so um, I'll get this uploaded while I watch some of that. This is always a great watch, tremendous tradition. Um, I heard a ridiculous stat uh, yesterday on the Yes Network during the Nets game. Army has used six quarterbacks this year and had 22 different ball carriers, and they are still favored to win the game by a touchdown. That is crazy. We've also got Warriors at Sixers tonight at 8.30 on ABC. Why is this significant? Because Steph Curry is 10 three-pointers away from the all-time record held by Ray Allen. And if you're wondering, is he going? Is it possible for Steph to hit 10 threes tonight and hit the record? Um, actually, it is because he's done it 22 times in his career. We've also got the Heisman Trophy Ceremony tonight at 8 p.m., and tomorrow, we've got some notable NFL games. You've got Dallas at Washington Sunday at 1 p.m. This has suddenly become a huge game. The Cowboys are 8-4 and four with a win. They could take a three-game lead in the division. For Washington, however, a win would bring them within one game of the division lead, and it would put the pressure solely on the Cowboys to perform. The spread right now is Dallas minus four. I'm leaning towards Dallas, but the football fan in me wants to see Washington keep this close and possibly uh, win this game. You've also got a battle of Super Bowl contenders, but the Buffalo Bills are at Tampa Bay against Tom Brady. That game Sunday, 425 p.m. on CBS. I'm not saying it's a must win for the Bills, but it's getting close to panic time for the Bills. It really is. Um, they need to stop the bleeding. A win on the road against TB12 would do a lot for this team, and it would catapult them back into that conversation as the front runners in the AFC. All right, let's talk a little on this date in sports. Um, again, I was supposed to do this episode last night, but my brother, he came home, he came over because his wife was throwing a girls party and, you know, having a girls night and he didn't want to be there. So he came over and we hung out, watched the Nets game. So um, I'm doing it today. Well, 
We got the Heisman uh, tonight, so let's take it back. December 10th, 2016, when Lamar Jackson won the Heisman and became a household name. And of course, now he is the quarterback of the uh, Baltimore Ravens. And I'll give you um, a on this date for today, December 11th, 2011, Rob Gronkowski catches his 14th touchdown, breaking the single season record for a tight end. He would finish the season with 17 touchdowns. And um, I had, I was going to play some sound bites, some, some of the best um, things I heard from around the league this year. I mean, this week, but the one thing with Tom Brady, I could not find it. I scoured and scoured. Um, Tom Brady was, was talking about on his new, uh, documentary, the man in the arena. He was talking about how he couldn't, he could have easily retired this year or last year, but he said it would pain him to sit home on Sundays and watch these quarterbacks and know, knowing that they suck and he's better than them. So I thought that was pretty funny. And then the always brilliant Colin Cowherd um, had this to say. Let me pull this up. Um, just an absolute boob that is Colin Cowherd and that is, you know, these media guys that think they know so much. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. Folks, young Mac Jones looks like young Tom Brady. You need to just put your arms around it because that's exactly what it looks like. Yes, I will leave it with that. Have a nice weekend, everybody. Enjoy this warm weather. I know that I will. Um, it was fun being back for the first time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It wasn't actually as long as I thought it would be, just about at the hit the hour mark. Um, if you have any questions, if you want some some betting advice, just hit me up on social media because um, I've been doing fairly well with my bets lately. And um, yeah, let's let let's look forward to a Sunday filled with some great NFL action. That's where the money's to be made. I like the Saints over the Jets. I like the under in that game as well. Like I said, I'm leaning towards Cowboys to cover that game. Um, I like the over in the Bills and the Bucks game, and I'll just leave it at that. So enjoy your weekend, everybody. I'm the Pody signing out.